It's so pretty. I know. Like, you know what that was like? That was like when, um, Wind Waker's art showed up in 03 and everyone what? lost their minds, said it looked bad. Yeah. Wanted a more realistic look or whatever. Yeah, well, because that was kind of Nintendo's fault. I don't think it was anybody's fault. Well, I think the game turned out, now it's everyone's the favorite. video? Oh, I was there for where that. The, where they showed, like, all these, like, amazing graphics that all looked like, um, like Ocarina of Time. They yeah. were like, oh, future, blah. And then it was, like, Link, and he's just like, hop. Yeah. <laughs> he's, like, cute little. It they, worked for me. They did. Well, it was cute. The idea was cute, but since people were expecting more of a, like, more of a, you know, Ocarina of Time style thing. Yeah. Especially considering how graphics had improved for the GameCube. Those birds are kids. It surprised people. Yeah, no, you're right. But now look at this. Everybody complained about the art style of this before it came out. Now everyone loves it. It looks gorgeous. I think <coughs> perhaps people who play video games suck a little bit. I think people, I think gamers are, some gamers, not all. Are a little set in their ways. Not just set in their ways. They're just, what's the word? Stupid. They're, they think they're owed something. What's the word I'm like thinking of? Oh, entitled. They're entitled. Yes. And I think their this entitlement is up. The <laughs> yeah, I think. What do you think this is? I think those. Yeah, those they're always are, here. But what do they mean? Because they look like tie fighters. fighters. But why are they? Why? Why? I don't know. What do you think the symbology is? I'm assuming it has to do with some kind of like pipeline. It is. Like it's like this is what pipe is but here. But why is it always? There's a question mark. Sixteen. 16? 16? I don't know. It just must be like a symbol. Well, it's definitely I, a symbol. I like the idea that one day someone will find these and be like, what ancient... Well, know. I don't think they're meant to last that long, probably. No, but I just think about that stuff. This is The Diary. I'm Scott Johnson. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you're well. Thanks, Carter, for hanging out with me at the uh, top of the show. She didn't actually know I was recording that, but she's all good with it now. Um, so, oh, man, what a week. So there's a lot going on. Kim got home successfully. Baby didn't come while she was gone, so that's good. My daughter's still uh, technically pregnant. <laughs> I mean, I guess you're pregnant until the baby's out, right? But, uh, you know, we're waiting on that. Um, they're going to induce her tomorrow if it doesn't start on its own. So we're at the end of the window, basically. And uh, they want to induce, induce her tomorrow if it doesn't start before that. And uh, it, that's good because Kim, you know, I really wanted Kim to be home from this funeral, which also went fine. She was out there with all her siblings and her parents. And uh, the the funeral itself went pretty well. Um Police are still doing it, you know, the investigation. That stuff takes forever and drags out a long time. But it was pretty weird. You know, Kim got to go where the shooting actually happened and saw bullet holes in the house. And there are way more than six bullet holes, by the way. Like, he was shot six times, but there are enough bullet holes that are still visible in the side of the house than garage and, and, and the car in one case, which looks closer to, like, 12 to 13. And if it's still just one cop responsible, I mean, how did they even do that? How do you get 16 bullet, you know, 12 to 16 bullets out of a, 
out of there. I don't know how you do that. Not with, you know, standard issue handgun sidearm stuff. I don't think. I don't know. I don't know enough to say, so I won't I won't try to figure it out. But <clears throat> that uh, whole deal is ongoing. Somebody from the Oregonian reached out to me, wanted to talk about it, and I'm like, um, why are you talking to me? I think it's because I'm the, you know, the if there's a public face in our family, I'm as close as you get to that. And, um, I don't know. I don't know why I, I'm, I couldn't be more removed in, from the circumstances. So I don't know why they thought I would be the one to contact. I don't even live in Oregon. So yeah, I ignored that. Uh, anyway, so enough of that. That's depressing, but that happened and Kim got home. So that's good. Cause she'll be here for, uh, the birth of, uh, of Phoebe little feet. She already has a name. Uh, which again will happen by tomorrow, if not before. And um, that means we're going to have the boy a bunch. Uh, he'll basically be living here for a day or two uh, while they, you know, do their thing at the hospital. And then they'll, uh, you know, I'm guessing we'll see the baby this weekend. I don't actually know how that's going to work. Hospital's still weird about who can come to the hospital and who can't when it comes to births. So uh, despite you know, COVID restrictions being laxed more, uh, it's still weird. So they've decided, and I'm totally supportive in this. They've decided just to make it, you know, the family, it's just them, her, Dylan and the baby and, uh, not have a bunch of us sitting around waiting in lobbies and waiting rooms and whatever. Uh, they don't want us to do that. So, which I'm totally fine with. I have no problem with that. So we'll be here with the boy eagerly awaiting our uh, chance to meet her. So that's going on. And then on top of that, uh, we had a wedding last week toward the end of the week, uh, right before Kim left. And then, um, and then this on the other end, we have this baby being born. So literally a wedding, a funeral and a baby. Is that, is that a movie? Could be a sequel to three weddings and a funeral or whatever that was called. Just need to add a birth in there, I guess cut down on two funerals anyway or no no it's less weddings three weddings and a funeral so yeah we had the right amount of funeral just not enough weddings anyway and then uh what else oh and then today the little dog the puppy uh moira gets a gets fixed she's getting her her uh whatever you do what is it with female dogs spay neuters boys right anyway they're cutting out her whatever's and she'll, so now she's going to be all stoned today and have a cone and, you know, she doesn't know this is happening. <laughs> so as you can tell, a lot going on here in the Johnson home. And I'm just, you know, trying to keep everything above board. I'm, I'm busy. I got things to do. I got shows to produce. So there's no slowing down really on any of this. I'm glad we took our vacation, our, our week in, uh, on the Alaska cruise. I'm glad we took it before all of this. Well, maybe, maybe we should have done it after all of this. I don't know, but I, I'm glad we did it on a week where really not a lot happened. Pretty quiet. Uh, that week, but, uh, boy, it's not been quiet since. Anyway, couple things here. Got an email from Adam Perkins. I wanted to read his email. 
He says, Adam from Maine here. My 43rd birthday is next week. And as I work on or work my way through my middle ages, I have been thinking more and more about the idea of success and how an individual measures their own level of achievement and failure. I have two questions for you. Do you specifically have that voice in your head that makes you doubt your own level of achievement? And two, if you do, how do you personally manage that voice and those thoughts? Love the show. Well, Adam, that's a great question. And I don't think, I don't trust people who don't have at least some imposter syndrome slash self-doubt, you know, whatever you want to term it. People who don't have that freak me out. They're usually up to no good. <laughs> no good. I, I shouldn't say that. I mean, whatever. There are plenty of really confident people who are just fine. But I'm, the, the, the people I've met who don't have any of those natural human instincts of not measuring up entirely or feeling a little imposter syndrome, if they don't feel that way, it just something feels off to me. So, so that being said, um, I experience it all the time. My whole life, really. Uh, in one form or another. That, that feeling of doubting your own achievements or doubting your own ability to have done a thing before a certain age. I mean, we have these, we have these lines we draw and we go, well, if I'm not a millionaire before I'm 30, then what are we even doing? Like, you know, depends on who makes the, who makes the predictions, but some people think they should be millionaires before they're 30. And I feel bad for those people because 90% of them are, well, I'm sorry, 99 point something percent of them will never be millionaires before they're 30. And when they get there, you know, you're just, you're giving yourself a bunch of artificial disappointment that wasn't ever yours to begin with. So that always bums me out. You know, it's a little like, uh, when I was a teenager, the big thing was if you could play basketball, you, you just assumed you could get into the NBA. Uh, today's version of that is, you know, you're pretty good at Fortnite, So you could probably be a, a mega YouTuber that makes millions of dollars a month or a day. And you never do except in very small percentages, right? There's not, not everybody can be a giant YouTuber. Not everyone can be a massive basketball star. Hell, even some of the people that make it in the NBA end up not reaching whatever full potential they have. I think about that a lot because uh, there is a tendency culturally to tell our kids that they can be anything they want to be. And it's true. They can, but I think parents could, could follow that up with more probability so that they understand the difference between possible and probable and can build for themselves more realistic goals uh, and expectations. And then also, you know, uh, off ramps in case things don't go the way they want to. Backup plans, that sort of stuff. Um. We don't do a very good job of that. We're great at saying you can be an astronaut and the president and, you know, be a millionaire and own 500 grocery stores or, you know, whatever. We, we tell them what they want to hear because we want to encourage them to seek their dreams, to go for it, whatever. But, you know, I got in an argument with an old friend. I say old because we don't really get along anymore. But an old online friend of mine who has gone a kind of weird direction. But anyway, he said once uh, something about Jeff Bezos or something. Or no, I had said, I know what it was. I was basically pointing out that um, that Jeff Bezos was an anomaly, not a norm of any sort. 
and that's true. You could you could pin that on just about any of those, any of those guys in those in that category. You know, the billionaires of the world. Um, perfect timing, perfect place. Just you know, all those things play a factor. We like to think it's like no, they just had, they knew to go the extra mile and do that. They reached just that much farther when others would give up. They we have this story, right? We have this romanticized freaking Indiana Jones on a horse kind of ideal of of uh, how people uh, find success or perceive success, financial success. Let's say because that's not always you know a successful life doesn't always have money in it. But anyway. Um, you know, we got in this back and forth about he. You know, he's he kept saying he's great because he shows anybody can do it. And I'm like, no, he shows the opposite. He shows the opposite. He's he shows that very few you can't the world can't sustain. Uh, let's just do it's a small number of of total humanity. It can't sustain 100 million Amazons. It's not actually possible. It can't sustain 100 million apples. 100 million Googles. They're, they're singular for a reason. They're anomalies. They're one-offs. Very successful financial one-offs. <laughs> and lots of trickle down. A lot of other little businesses start around them or are inspired by them or other like aspects or whatever. But if you're saying everybody can be Jeff Bezos, it's not true. That's just like deceitful. I think that's bad. You shouldn't tell kids that. You can tell them, you know, if you work hard, you can, you can succeed. You can, you can reach for things and go for it and do this and that you can do all of that, but don't be telling them that anybody can be Jeff Bezos. Anybody can be Michael Jordan. It's just literally not possible. Anybody can be ninja, whatever, whatever their realm of interest is. There's always some example of somebody where you're like, man, I wish I was that lady or dude. Yeah. So does everyone else in their dog. And guess what? There's no room for all of you. There isn't. It's not a sustainable concept. So I don't know why we do that to ourselves. But anyway, to get back around to your question, I do that to my own self sometimes. And you probably do it to yourself. And you have these expectations of where, what you think you should accomplish and what you shouldn't have uh, or, or what you have yet to do and you feel like you're running out of time or whatever. What I've tried to do lately is take some advice from my sister, uh, trained psychologist Wendy Dunford, my sister. You probably heard her on the morning stream, some of you. Um, some advice she gave me once, I don't even know if it was on air, but she basically just said, in those moments where you're trying to think about what you haven't accomplished or what you haven't done, or what you know corner you haven't turned or whatever, instead, forget about the stuff that you can't actually control in that moment. And instead, think about the things where that you have done. And uh, it works. It, if you can get your mindset there, you can get there. Even if it's simple stuff like, you know, I got a promotion. Okay, awesome. You're in a rarefied group of people who get promoted. Um, you successfully raised a kid. Well done. You know, whatever it is. I'm just throwing the things out there. I have my own list, but, you know, it would be very easy for me to say, ah, I was in podcasting in 99 before they even called it that. And I've been doing this for every year and I've been doing it forever. And I, you know, I'm never going to see Joe, Joe Rogan numbers or money ever. Why would I expect that? I mean, there's nothing wrong for reaching for it and aiming for more and trying to grow it, but it's not sustainable. <laughs> 
and we'll say what you want about Joe Rogan, you know, good or bad. I don't care. What I'm saying is here's a, here's somebody who had a successful career outside of podcasting, decided to get into it. Like a lot of comedians do very common. And you, you can parlay that, right? You can go, well, I'm already huge out here doing what I do. So now I'm going to be huge here. And they do, they hit the ground running the Mark Marins, the, you know, to some other extent, well, I, I won't name other names, but you know, you know who I mean, you know, the cl- kind of class of podcaster I'm talking about. And I, I begrudge them nothing because I know the math. The math is you came in with a huge following and now that huge following is in your, they're following in your podcast and then you've got a bigger platform on day one. Some of us had to start from zero. And so my mindset is less, how come I don't have the listenership that Joe Rogan does? My, my attitude is what I'm trying to have the attitude of is I have what I have and it's a whole lot more than nothing. You know, in some ways, at least the podcasting side of it, mine is the greater success. Maybe not, you know, monetarily speaking, it's not what I'm talking about, but the build something from nothing and build it into something tangible is something I'm very proud of. So you have to start thinking that way, right? It's just so easy to compare ourselves to others. The other way I do this is I watch a lot of... (laughs) I watch hoarders or intervention or my 600 pound life or I used to watch cops until I learned stuff about how cops runs. I don't like how they do that stuff on there. The behind the scenes on that is pretty, pretty gross. Um, But those kinds of things would, would put my mind back in a place that was like, Oh, right. This could be a whole lot harder. I could have this problem. I could have that problem. I could be a naked meth user on the hood of a car um, waving his junk at a cop. You know, like I have to, it's sometimes good for me to see stuff like that and go and not, not to go, Oh boy, they're much more miserable than I am. That's not what I mean. I don't, I'm not trying to use them as props, but I guess in some way I am. If I'm, if I'm, you know, to be completely honest about it, it is kind of the net net effect of it, but it just reminds me like, Oh yeah, I've, I'm doing fine. I thought I was having a bad day, but boy, nothing like that guy. I don't know. It's weird. It's cathartic. Anyway, I hope that answers your question or at least is, at least broaches the topic uh, that you're aiming for there. Final email from Volduran. Volduran. Like Duran Duran, but with Vor in front of it. So Vorduran. Vorduran. There we go. I knew Scott would get around to it. On a recent diary episode, you talked about how you've never been bored or you're, that you're never bored now. And I just thought I'd give my two cents on the whole topic. First of all, and if you guys, sorry, uh, just to back up, if you guys listen to two episodes ago I talk about how I'm never bored anymore I haven't been bored since I was a kid because I just constantly fill my straw with with stuff it's never empty and so I feel like I'm just never bored and I'm not and I'm actually saying that's not great to do to yourself I think I I think I deserve downtime that equals boredom because boredom can sometimes be inspirational it's a way of resetting your brain and having new ideas anyway that's that's the background on what that conversation was He goes on to say, first off, I guess I'll define what I mean by being bored. I consider myself bored when I find that I'm not attaining a sufficient level of enjoyment or excitement out of what I'm doing. I think there's a big difference between things I need to do and things I want to do. 
I'm often bored doing things I need to do, cleaning, laundry, my job, etc. But I power through because it's just something I have to do. I never seem to find myself bored when I'm doing what I want to do, aka during my free time. Because if I'm not enjoying what I'm doing, I can swap to something else, watch a TV show, read a book, play a video game, etc. And even within those, I can just change from one to the other as desired. Especially at this age of so much content on and off the internet, it's just about impossible to have nothing you can do. Maybe a big difference is our being bored or uh, differences in our being bored is not having to do with our jobs. Your job is producing content, podcast drawings, etc. So you're quite active, but my job is monitoring a computer system. So literally as long as everything's working, I don't have anything to do. That can and does make for a very boring job, but hey, someone's got to do it if you want to be able to do things on the web. I don't want to go too much detail because of privacy sake. That's cool. I'm glad to have you at the helm wherever you're at though, though dude. Sounds like you got it under control. Anyways, uh, he says, that's my thoughts on boredom. Keep on keep keep on keeping on and having fun. Thanks. Vorderin. Uh Yeah, I mean, it, that's not a bad way to define it. I mean, bad's not the right word. I, w- the way you've defined it, I think, is fitting for for a lot of stuff. You know, part of my problem is less about um, attaining that sense of being bored and just attaining that sense of like, I don't need to be doing anything. I can just sit here and experience my own breathing, the birds I can hear, the quiet of the night, the sun setting, the whatever. Like, in a way, those are all kinds of content, but they're like old school content, you know, the kind of content that people had a thousand years ago. <laughs> the content that's never not been part of human life. And just to be present in that and not have your brain go, yeah, but it could be doing this or this or this or this or this. And I have to do this and this and this and this and this. I'd rather be doing this, but I could do this. Like so many this is, but really I just need to hear the, the blood pump in my veins, you know? So really what I'm, I think we're, my head is, is it's not so much boredom that I don't experience anymore. It's that I've so completely filled my, uh, my straw. I'll use that as the thing again. I've so filled my straw with marbles that there's just, I don't have any room for an empty, empty straw. Like I wish I could just empty the marbles all at once for like an hour. And then I can just, you know, be present, chill, not think of any of those things. That's hard to do in this age, I think. I really respect people who can. I wish I was better at it. I guess I've never been good at it, but it's a double-edged sword, you know? Blessing and a curse kind of thing for me. Um, and a lot of people, I'm sure, can commiserate with what I'm saying. But, uh, you know, I don't know. i got to get better at that. that whole finding that time to be present and aloof and away. I don't just mean, I mainly mean mentally away. I don't mean physically at all, really. I want to be able to do it in the comfort of my own skin of my own backyard or wherever I want to be and not think of the billion and things that are hanging over me right now. Instead of like saying, go, well, I have that time. I'm going to go fill it with a film or movie. I'm going to go listen to 45 minutes of my favorite playlist i'm gonna go you know like I, those things are fine there's nothing wrong with any of that but i find my, myself plugging all my 
blank holes with that kind of thing. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's good in the long run or the short run. I don't know. Anyway, thanks for that email. Email address is scott.internet at gmail.com. That's scott.internet at gmail.com. And uh, I love hearing from you guys. So thanks and keep those coming. I think I've gotten a few more, but I've, I haven't gone through these yet. So I want to make sure I want to read them all, make sure I'm okay to say names and junk like that. So I shall see what I can do. That I believe is going to do it for today. Not a lot of new stuff to talk about. Um, I do find as, I don't know if you guys can, maybe you guys can relate as fall approaches. I'm definitely not eating as well as I did in the summer. Like in the summer, I lost like 20 something pounds. This was a goal, right? Um, wearing my jeans, my pants went down two sizes. Like I was really feeling really good right now. I'm, you know, I'm there, but I can tell that's creeping in. It's like, I want a whole pizza. I hope that soup's nice and creamy. I hope, ooh, bread, sweet, give me the bread. Like I can feel that, those tendencies rising. Really hard for me to avoid if someone's got it in front of me. You know, like if somebody says, oh yeah, my wife baked a brand new loaf of whatever bread. Here you go, have one. I would love to just go, well, let me just slice off a little bit of that. And that's, you know, that's all I'll need. No, 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 no. Fall Scott wants to pick at that loaf all day. Pick at the loaf. Loaf picking. Mm. Anyway, talking about it helps me uh, uh, think about my choices before I make them. <laughs> so I'm going to try harder to avoid these tendencies and not become a disgusting horse this year or before this year's up. All right. All right. Have a good one. Send those emails. Be nice to each other. And we'll see you next time on The Diary. <laughs>